0: Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. I see a lot of familiar faces, which is nice, because that's not always the case. But um, as you heard, my name is Dan Emmer, and um, this morning we're going to be talking about uh, several different topics. So um, we are covering human trafficking. We are covering the topic of modern-day slavery, covering what it looks like to serve, why we serve, and all that kind of tying in together. And especially this time of year is a good time to reflect not on ourselves. As we talked about, you know, oftentimes it's not that discount. I was I was caught up in that trap because I, I, not the shopping part, but I clicked on one of those Black Friday videos where they show people running into Walmart and some other stores, and I sat there, and this was last night, killing a few minutes of time while I had my dinner, and I I thought, isn't that so sad though? It was almost humorous, but sad to see how often we go for things and we look for things for ourselves, but what Christ calls us to is something far drastically, radically different than that. Um, now before I jump into it it's always helpful to understand who you're talking to right to, or hear, who you're hearing from. Now I grew up on the mission field I grew up in Ukraine. I was there from the age of uh, 13 well 12, turning 13 to the age of 18. and then today with me is my wife Stephanie. We celebrate our 10 year anniversary. you can wave I'm sure they want to know uh, this last September and then our two kids are here, Danny, who is eight and then Anna who is five. And uh, we we actually had this privilege because our daughter has now a princess name, you know. So many people know Anna. It was more common in the Northeast, but we chose Anna. And then this little-known movie, I don't know if any of you heard, it's a small movie that came out. It's called Frozen, right? And so now she has a Disney princess name. That's so cool. But the thing is, like any typical five-year-old girl, she has her stubborn will. And uh, she had a birthday party this last week, and it was a Frozen-themed birthday party. And I said, this is awesome. You can go as Anna, right? And she says, no, I want to be Elsa. And I said, no, Anna. And we went back and forth, and I had this argument with a five-year-old. Anna, Elsa, Anna. And I said, you know what, I just, need to, I just need to let it go. So I let it go. I let it go. And, uh, but anyways, I'm, I'm glad to be here to, to talk about this topic and that my family can be part of this because they're much as part of the story as I am. And what we're looking at today is not just human trafficking, but service, why we serve. And also looking at the words and actions of Jesus and what He showed us. Because I can tell you anything, but the reality is that the best way to hear it and understand it is to see what Christ, our greatest example, did. And so to do that, we're going to take a, a, a minute to look at Scripture. But what I want you to realize about today is, um, you know, as I shared, I, I grew up on the mission field. One of the things that often happens, I, I, co- I would come back periodically for school or for whatever reasons, and I'd come back and I'd share a story. I'd try and tell a story about um, what happened to me there. And oftentimes, all that would happen is it remained for the listener just a story. It never became a reality as it was for me because I experienced it. But they they couldn't grasp it. And I don't want today to be that. I don't want today to be just a time for you to come and hear this and say, hey, what a great story, and then leave. We want you to take this on as a reality and take ownership of this story as well. And so we're going to jump into John 4. We're going to follow along with me. In John 4, verses 6 through 18, now, Jesus had just left Judea, and he's heading back uh, once more to Galilee. And we'll pick up in verse 4. And it says, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. And it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus told her, or said to her, Will you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Now, the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for the drink, then you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, and also did his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water." And there's a lot of things happening in this, in this story. As many of you often know, it's the, the story of Jesus meeting this woman at the well and in this is something that I want to draw attention to and how it relates to us in serving others, is that Jesus stops and takes time for just one. So He takes time to, to do something that seems like a waste of time, something He shouldn't be doing. Instead, He should be talking to crowds, right? He should be talking to masses. Instead, He stops and He takes time for this one woman. And oftentimes when we're called into service, there's the opportunities that come and, and approach us or put in our path and, and sometimes we pass them by because we think in a, in a faulty manner that, hey, this is maybe a waste of my time. I shouldn't be spending time with this. I should be doing bigger, better things. And yet Jesus shows us by His example that even one is important. And so when, when we're walking through our journey, our journey trying to serve Christ and do what we can as He has called us to do it. We have to be mindful of the path that we're on is oftentimes it starts much sooner than we realize. Our opportunities have been placed along the way and maybe we've taken that opportunity and God's going to use that in the future. You know, for me, when, when I look back at my life, I see how the opportunity kind of started much sooner than I realized. So I came back uh, for 10th grade, back to the States, and I was here in high school, and we were talking about Sla- uh, slavery in America, in history class. And as I sat there and they shared about it, the teacher kinda asked almost just a, a probing question to the class to me. He said, you know, students, Dan, if you were alive when slavery was here in America, would you have done something to intervene? Would you have done something to stop it? And as a 10th grader, I simply, I, I raised my hand and I said, yeah, I, I would. And the reason I raised my hand is because I believed everybody deserves to be free. Now, fast forward many years or several years beyond that to 2010, when I was sitting in church, much like many of you are today, and hearing about human trafficking, modern day slavery, and that same question crept up to my my mind, and that same question was asked, and, and it was simply put Dan, you said yes then, what will you say now? Because as I sat there and started to hear about the issue of human trafficking and how around the world there are over 27 million people held against their will, many of which, about 21 million, are women being forced into sex slavery. Being forced to sell themselves for someone else's gain. And hearing that, and the weight of that, thinking that we can go on Black Friday and shop, and we can go home to our, our warm homes and we can have food whenever we want it, we can do. We have so many choices that we can make, and yet 27 million people do not have that ability to make a choice. And hearing that, and hearing that over 800,000 people every year are trafficked across borders around the world as if they were a commodity, as if they were something to be traded, sold, and and other people profiting from that. And and hearing that, and hearing that it's a a $32 billion industry, one that's growing annually. We have uh, drug trafficking, then weapons trafficking, and, and then human trafficking. Because it's a lucrative and profitable thing. And people try to understand why is it happening? How does this happen? And the reality is that there's so many different ways that it's done. In third world countries, it's oftentimes it's, it's trickery. It's, it's de- deception. It's, it's always deception, but it's a different way. In overseas countries, a lot of times it's addressing the root cause or, or the desire for economic you know, sustainability for families. And they'll say, you know, your daughter can come work here. She can work at this hotel. And, and, they, and they willingly send their daughter to, to work, and then they're sold and, and forced into this. In one area, Sanglia and Miraj, where we work in India, there's there's temples there. And families will gift their daughters, typically at the age of 11, to a temple to, to work there as what the families want to believe is that they're being a help or aid, but the reality is that they're used as as a, a an item for the, the priest uh, to be exploited. And hearing that is heartbreaking. And understanding that they, they have no options beyond that. And, and so what do we do as an organization? And, and so for me, when I heard that, I felt like this was something God was calling me to. And to step away from what I knew to something that He was calling me into. And, and stepping away from that to, to look at how do we both physically address the need, but also spiritually. Because we'll see throughout this passage today how Jesus addresses both. He talks about the physical, and there is a need for that, but there's also the spiritual. And so from that was born worthwhile wear. And some of you might say, what's that? It sounds so odd for a name, right? It sounds like it's not a ministry name. Well, the reason it was named that is because when we started the programs in India and working there, being able to teach women... That what they can do and what they can learn, something, an alternative to get out of this trade and, and get into something that keeps them out of it, they can make clothing or jewelry or bags, items that have much worth because of what they are. They're worthwhile. And we take time for them. And the, the ability then to sell those items here in the U.S. And, and it provides them economic kind of sustainability. They can get out of that and, and provide for their families and not have to go back into that life. And so we say it's worthwhile. We're literally allowing people here and in other countries to wear these things and say that they're wearing the story of freedom. And so we had this... this um, this opportunity in India, and it's been growing, and it's been one of those things that comes with its great successes, but also challenges. And when I share about it, and I share about the ministry, sometimes I hear, you know, people will come up, and they'll say, you know, that's so awesome what you're sharing. That's wonderful. Or, or they'll say, you know, this, this ministry here is doing an awesome job, or this church here is doing an awesome job. And then the next thing oftentimes people will say, and they say it in, in a false way, they're saying it incorrectly, is they're saying, but what I do is insignificant. You know, I wish I could do what you're doing. I wish I could do what that church is doing. But what I'm doing is insignificant. And they downplay their service. And when I hear them speak of that, I think of something that was said by C.S. Lewis in this book called Out of the Silent Planet. Now, there's a dialogue happening here between an angel and this other person. And in this dialogue, Out of the Silent Planet, it says, the angel says to him, says, My people have a law never to speak of sizes or numbers to you. Because it makes you do reverence to the nothings and pass by what is really great. And how true is that for us? Because we get so caught up in saying, am I doing the big things? Am I doing things that are recognizable? Other people will notice. And sometimes when we we seek that, we pass by what is really great. You know, we have a culture that says what? It says bigger is better. It says that size and numbers are the greatest and truest measure of success. You know, we have Instagram, we have Facebook, we have Twitter. We say, who's following me? Who liked my, my you know, message or who, who liked this picture? We say it about our organizations, our churches. I'm guilty of that too. We say, you know, our people recognize what I'm saying because we have to get the more the better, right? We have a culture that says what? It says go big or what? Go big or go, go big or don't even try at all. Go big or don't even give it any effort. But what does Jesus show us? He's countercultural because he says, no, we must not. We must pass by what is really great. We need to take time for one. And so service is that. It's taking time. Service sometimes requires us to do small things, things that seem like a waste of time as Jesus took time for this woman. And as an organization, as we stepped out in faith and started serving in India, then we started looking at the issue here at home. And we said, you know, what does it look like here because we started hearing about statistics and things in our area and and oftentimes people when I say it's an issue here in America people will say you know human trafficking is a horrible thing I, I, I understand it's probably happening way over there in another country if it's happening here it's probably happening in Los Angeles maybe New York maybe Philadelphia but the reality is it's happening here it happens in Lansdale it happens in Doylestown And it happens in Bucks and Montgomery County. And I don't have a lot of statistics for all these different counties, but I know Bucks County has around 800 to 900 homeless youth. And of those 800 to 900 homeless youth every year that go out onto the streets, about 40% of them will be approached and exploited within 48 hours by someone who's trying to sell them for their own gain. And when we talk about the average age in our counties in this area, the average age for a victim of human trafficking, someone to be sold in the sex slave trade, is 13 years old. And you hear that and it's heartbreaking. And the reality is that when they're forced into this, the average life expectancy for for someone forced into this is only seven years. From the point of entry, from the the age of 13, that they typically will pass away by the age of 20 because it's a dangerous and violent crime that they're forced into. And you hear these things and they're heartbreaking. And we say, well, what's what's the reality that we can do something? What's the reality that our organization and ministry can actually have an impact? And so one of the first things we try to do is is ask questions and and try to learn. And we we went to a a drop-in center in Kensington. And in Kensington, right on the street there, they have a a center for women that are affected by uh, forced prostitution. And they have an opportunity to come and, and get some care during the day before they're forced to go back out on the street. And this, this center is run by some fellow believers, and they're trying so desperately to show them there's an option and a way to go out. And we, went, we, we met with Allegra, who was um, running it, and we said, you know, what's the reality that a, a woman from Kensington would want to come to a program if we were to start one in Bucks and Montgomery County? And she said, Dan, nearly 100%. And I said, well, how is that that, you know, it seems it doesn't make sense that they would come that far. It seems like we're in this, you know, the suburbs that wouldn't really work for them. She said the reason why is because nearly 100 percent of these women have come from Bucks and Montgomery County, that they've been tricked and exploited out of that area to this area. And so hearing that and as an organization, we we started to look at what we can do and I spent six months of my own time spending looking, going to every uh, church, every individual, every business saying, is there a building, is there something, a house that we can use because there's a need, there's a need for housing, there's a need for care, restoration. Restoration to show them that they're valuable, that they're worthwhile. And, and for six months, looking and looking and looking. Finally, I had a church that says, you know, this is a great idea. We want to meet. Let's meet in two weeks. We sat down two weeks later and they said, you know, we, we, we think this is a wonderful thing. We'd love to partner, but we just signed a lease with someone else for the house yesterday. And that was a blow. That was hard to hear. And, and it's a reminder that service calls us to do things that seem like a waste of time sometimes. But the reality is when we do that, when we serve faithfully and we walk on, even when it feels like it's a waste of time, that others are watching and God uses that for His glory. And as you come up empty-handed and you say, you know, I've given my best effort, right? And you serve and you try to help those that are in need or you try to serve as Christ would have you and you realize that it's difficult and sometimes you've given so much. Sometimes you literally give it all. And you get discouraged. It can be discouraging at times. But the the scripture comes to us, and, and it comforts us, and it reminds us that Christ is there for us. And, and the Bible, what we read, is not something that's just a fictional story. There, there's truth in this. And, and I remember at, at a point where I was feeling most despairing was was um, when when we decided to leave what what I knew and, and what I did before to to pursue this. There was there was times of doubt. There was times of, of struggle. And I was reminded by Matthew 6.25, that therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life and what you will eat or drink or about your body and what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And that was a a verse that I leaned on because as uh, I started to hear about this in 2010, then I had to make the decision to step away from something I knew, which was a good job. It was a job that paid well enough that my wife could stay home and raise our kids, we could pay our mortgage, I could ride my, my fancy $3,000 carbon fiber bike to work because I could afford to do that, I'd go in my office, I'd close the door, ignore my colleagues, look out the window, daydream, pretend to work. Right? Those are all the things that sometimes we do, and those things are, are nice, but that's not what we're called to. And I would sit there and I would hear that voice and say, Dan, you said you would do something. I've made you and created you to serve, and, and what are you doing? And so we stepped away from that, and I, and I left that job. And we sold our home and we used our savings and I remember sitting there as we were at a new rental property and, and sitting there at the island and I was looking at, our, at my laptop and that particular day I took a screenshot of, of the screen because as I was looking at our bank account on the screen was a zero and a zero may look small in print. It's one of the smallest numbers, but when you look at it as a father and as a husband, it's so consuming. It's, it's overwhelming to see that little zero knowing that there's nothing left. And yet, we, we're called to push on and persevere because that's what Christ would have us do and that's what Christ did. And, and when you, you sit there and you see something like that you feel overwhelmed that I can't do any more, that's when it's so refreshing to go back to Scripture and see as we're reading this passage, John 4, 6, it says Jesus was tired. Jesus experienced fatigue. Jesus was tired. He was overwhelmed at times. And in John 4-6, it says that simple phrase. But as our, as our ultimate example, what does He do? He continues to press on. And the reason He continues to press on is because He's the author and the finisher of the story. And He knows what is next. And He knows why we need to serve. And so as we get tired sometimes, we need to realize what Jesus would do and what He would have us do. And Jesus' actions show us that we need to go to or go through or go in and be in Samaria. The place where the Jews and Samaritans wouldn't go. And so I ask you, what is your Samaria? Where are you called to go? Because we're called to do something, right? Right? And you might say, and you hear these statistics and you hear numbers, and, and today I'm not going to go deeper and deeper into human trafficking, but I want you to be aware of things. But I might share this with you. And you might say, Dan, it's, it's a wonderful ministry you're doing, but I'm not called to that. Or you might say, Dan, you know, I'm serving in this way. I'm serving here at this uh, shelter or I'm doing this or that or the other, but you know I'm not ser- called to do what you're doing. I would say that's fine. That's wonderful because we're called to be active. But I would fault you if you do Nothing. Because we're called to serve. We're called to be active. Because we're called to be the beacon of light in darkness. John 1.5 says that. It says it's so clear. It says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And so when we see these dark things, these, these places of despair, we're called to bring hope. We're called to bring light to them. And as we continue on in John 4, I want to have you follow with me in John 4 verses 16-18. through 18. Because here is where Jesus really kind of cuts to the heart of the matter. You read this whole passage, and there's a lot of stuff going on, but what Jesus is really getting to is the heart of the matter is sin. And so in verse 16, it says, he told her, he says, go call your husband and come back. And she replies, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And you read that passage, and it sounds like Jesus is kind of calling her out. Like he's a little bit harsh, right? He's saying, You've sinned. He's finger pointing. And we hear that and we say, That's harsh. You know, why would he say? That? The reality is he's not doing that. What he's simply saying is, I already know. And he says that to us because so oftentimes we want to go and say, Hey, I could serve, I should serve, I should do this or that, but I can't because I sin and we try so desperately to hide our sins from each other and from God even. And he simply says, I already know. As he says to the woman, he opens the dialogue up and says, this is the issue. And the reality is that we've all sinned, right? And when sometimes we approach those that we're serving, we go to those that, that are in need and we have this misconception, we have these ideas that they're, they're where they're at because of their sin, right? They're there because of bad choices, things that they've done. But if I were to ask, who here has sinned? Who would raise their hand? This is a simple one. It should be 100%. You've got a, a pretty holy crowd here. I don't see everyone... <laughs> holding their hand up, right? We've all sinned. We've all done it. Who here? If I ask who here has done something stupid, who would raise their hand? I should see every man's hand. Sir in the red shirt, I saw you slowly roll, raise your hand. Is it because you're wearing short sleeve today? Is that? <laughs> so we, we've done stupid things, right? I've done stupid things. I grew up in Ukraine. We, we lived, our first house was on a dirt street. At the end of the street was a meat processing factory. So it was so, it wasn't like living next to Longwood Gardens, I'll just say that. Um, and, I, and, and we had an outhouse when we first got to this house. And as Westerners, we had to get rid of that outhouse, and we put a, a bathroom in the house. But as a, a 13-year-old boy, well, let me ask you this way. What, what's synonymous with a 13-year-old boy? What would you say? Would you say wisdom, right? 13-year-old boys, wise choices, right? You would say all those things, right? So as a wise 13-year-old boy, I thought it was, uh, it was my duty to understand what's in this outhouse. And so as, as my responsibility was upon me, I felt the weight of this to know what's get to the bottom of it, right? And so I go and I go look at this outhouse and, um, you know, it's dark in there and the hole's dark. So what would you do? Who's, who's smart here? What would you do to, to see in the outhouse if you wanted to? A light, a shine a light. There, Ken's a smart guy right there. Now, being wise, you know, I thought a flashlight might work, It probably would work, but what else makes light? Fire, matches, there we go, matches work. But you know, a match is great, even a lighter, a candle, that works, but it still doesn't quite cut it. So it needs some help. So what else would you use? Paper. Paper, it's it's even better, but I I had to get to the point. So I I used some gasoline. So as a 13-year-old boy, I decided to stand over an outhouse, pour gasoline, strike a match, and drop it in. And as you can imagine, everything exploded up into my face. (laughs) And I remember I walked inside, and my father was in the house. He heard the explosion. From the other room, I hear him yell, what happened? And I simply said, nothing. And I just, well, I, I walked to the bathroom. I walked to the bathroom, white as a ghost. Well, most of me was white as a ghost, not so much here. And scrubbed my face for about 20 minutes, right? And I, and I, I came out of there. I still can see. I still have my face, thankfully. But if I, if I told you that story... And at the same time, I told you that story, and I did get injured, or I did lose my sight, or something happened, and you said, Dan, you got what you deserved. I would say, you're right. I got what I deserved. And isn't that true for all of us? When we talk about sin and choices and things, and what we deserve and what we didn't get and we should get, and we sit here today, and you sit there today, but by the grace of God, and so when we talk to those that are in need, or we see those that are in need, and we have these misconceptions, we say, I'm where I am because I've made good choices, because I don't sin as much as you, you're wrong. Because we've all sinned, but by the grace of God, we are where we are. So when you serve those in need, you must approach it with all humility. And the Scripture comes; it shows us so clearly what that looks like in Micah 6, eight. It talks about justice and it talks about humility and says, He has shown you, O mortal or O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. It doesn't say, in simple terms, it doesn't say I'm requesting this or I'm recommending it. It doesn't say this is a suggestion. It says it's required of you. And I have two kids. There's two things. There's things that I ask of them to put your clothes away when you, you know, they're dirty or, or to put your di- dirty dishes in the sink. Those are things I ask of them. I would like them to do. There's things that I require of them. Never, ever, ever go into the road. And the same is, is, is for our Heavenly Father to us. That there's things that He requires of us and we need to act justly. We need to serve and we need to do it in full and utmost humility. And that's difficult, that's hard, but that's why we should serve, and that's why we should get involved. And, and the, the scripture again, shows so clearly why do we do this? Why do we serve? Well, in Matthew 25, it says, in verse 30 through four, 34 through 40, it says, "Then the king will say to those on his right, "Come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance." The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will say and answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger invite you in or needed clothing and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and go and to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. And that's why we serve. That's why we reach out to those that that are in in places where they need to see the love of Christ because they haven't experienced it before. And we hear something that's so clear in Scripture, and yet sometimes we can be thick-headed and not understand it, and we need more help. So to help with, with that even, understanding what does it mean to serve, what does it mean to, to care for those, and why do we do that? Well, let me put it this way. I'm going to have you use your imagination again, because I work for a nonprofit, right? So imagine I'm pulling out a $100 bill, because I, I don't have one. Um, if I pulled out a $100 bill, crisp, brand new, and I would say, would anyone here want this? No strings attached. I would imagine someone would want it in the red shirt there, you'd want it, you'd get a coat, I know it, you'd get it, <laughs> um, so if I came back out, here's a second hundred dollar bill, this one's crumpled up a little bit, would I, you can have it, anyone want it? Someone would take it, you take it, you're looking at it, yeah, and if I came out a third time, and here's another hundred dollar bill, except this one, it's crumpled, it's torn, it's even a little bit dirty, and I said, does anyone want this one, no strings attached, I imagine that someone here would take that last one. And the reason you take is, in spite of how it appears to us, the intrinsic value is always the same. And the same goes for all of those around us in our community, those that, that look to be in greater need than ourselves. The value is all the same because Christ died for all. And we need to have that view. We sometimes have such a myopic view, the view of the temporary, the, the, the things that are only important to us here and now, forgetting that there is an eternal you know, there's there a saying that was attributed to C.S. Lewis that says, uh, very poignantly, says, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. And the realization that we live as eternal beings should be at the forefront of our minds. You know, we sometimes get so caught up in the here and now, we forget that Christ has everything in His control and that there's an eternal part of this. You know, I, I took our, our, our family to the shore this summer, and my son Danny can swim fine, he was out playing in the waves. I took my five, she was four at the time, Anna out into the water, and, and as we're walking out in the water, she started to panic and scream and cry out, said, Dad, help me, and I picked her up because all she could see was the wave coming at her. She could see nothing beyond that, that myopic view. All she could see was what was about to hit her, the, ne- the here, the now. And as, as I picked her up, her perspective changed, and, and she calmed and she saw that there was nothing to be afraid of. And the same is for us when we serve and we, when we look at these, these moments when they're, they're hard. We need to see that there's something more eternal beyond this. And then in closing, just in reading this last part of John 4, that Jesus leaves the Samaritan woman and He, and he leaves us with such a powerful declaration. In John 4, 23-26 it says here, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. And then the woman says, I know that Messiah. You can hear the joy in her voice. She says, I, the excitement, and she calls, she calls out and says, this is Christ, and He is coming, and when He comes, He will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declares to her and to us, I the one speaking to you, I am He. And He's saying, I am the healer, the fixer, the thirst quencher, the sustainer, the loving Father, the ultimate liberator. I am the one that you've been waiting for, been looking for. I am He, and I've come. And Christ is the one for the Samaritan woman. He's the one for the lost and for for those that, that seek Him and don't know Him yet because he died for all and because he died and rose for all that we can live and share that with others. And when we look at service and what it means to reach those that need restoration and and we serve and it's difficult and it's hard, know that God has us covered. You know, at at that last meeting where that house option fell through, that was discouraging. And I simply I got a text and I've shared this with some people here already, but I, I got a text that day from my mom. And now moms used to email or write letters, now they text, and, and it was just simply a Bible verse. And it said Proverbs sixteen nine. It says, A man plans in his heart, but the Lord directs his steps. And I and I laid it on God then and I said, God, this is yours, this is not mine. So if you want this home to be, then make it happen. And I I prayed that prayer and asked God to take control of that situation. And just three days later, I received a phone call from Stacy Mulholland, the district director for Bucks and Montgomery County. She said, we've been seeing what you've been doing. So here I felt empty-handed, but someone was watching. And they said, we want to meet. And so we met with Congressman Mike Fitzpatrick, Rob Loggery, from Bucks County. And they said, we want to meet and, and see what you're trying to do. And we shared about the program, what we wanted to do. And we said, we don't have a house. We don't have the funds. Can you provide funds to maybe help with a house or point us into the direction how we could do that? And, and Fitzpatrick said, instead said, you know, the county has multiple houses that we've acquired over the years through land preservation or, or floodplain, things like that. What if something like that would work out? And I said, well, you have my attention. So they said, why don't we send you a list? And they sent us a list. On this Excel spreadsheet, there's about 40 houses. There was one that was vacant, and there's also one that was zoned a group home. And I said, well, let's go look at that. As we started the drive, we arrived within five minutes after leaving our church where we had our, our meeting. And so proximity was great. It was zoned properly. It was vacant. We get there. We start looking at the property. And uh, I'm saying, you know, there's a house that can provide housing for women. It, it, it has the um, some seclusion to it. I said, this is great. I said, you know, this is wonderful. And I said to Rob Lagre, I said, this is wonderful, but this is something we probably can't afford because we're a kind of a newer nonprofit and ministry. And I said, what's this going to cost us? He said, Dan, if, if you're willing to do what you're saying, that you're going to reach and, and work with women that have been affected by human trafficking, and, and the churches are going to support you, and the and the community is going to get involved, and the county wants, to support you as well and we'll do a 30-year lease for a dollar a year. And, and it wasn't just that. It was, it was the fact that it had the seclusion. It could provide housing for multiple women. It had a secondary building that could be renovated and, and be turned into a counseling education center, which is our plan for this early spring uh, this year. And it also was on 83 acres of land. And so that time that felt like a waste of time was, was, was spent um, being observed by others and God directing and leading other people and, and, and directing my steps and doing something far greater than I ever, ever wanted because two weeks prior I was discouraged, deflated, and, and frustrated, frankly. And here God provides in such a huge way. And so today we have this program called The Well, like John 4, where Jesus meets not only the physical but the spiritual needs of women. Providing long-term housing up to two years. Providing counseling services. Providing uh, transportation and ways to get to get their GED courses. To get to the um, other therapeutic uh, sessions like equine therapy and, and other counseling sessions. And, and we have this program there where, where we have oftentimes successes and oftentimes we have setbacks. And, and it's not... Um, always easy to do what we do it's, it's rarely easy to do what we do and, and I know um, oftentimes I share this and I share this with JR oftentimes you hear about a missionary a mission ministry or a missionary sharing their story and you hear kind of like the highlight reel all the great all the good and, and the reality is that we get faced with things that are far far too difficult for us to bear and the challenges that we face every week are, are overwhelming, but God shows up over and over again. And like in John 4, he says, I know the struggles, I know the sins, I know what it's like to be tired, but in the end, I'm the author and finisher of the story. And so we follow, follow Christ, and, and we serve at the well, and seek to provide restoration for women in our area affected by human trafficking. And when there's times of, 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 of struggle in service and there's times of, of feeling like you don't have anything left to give, much like when I was sitting there at that, that um, island looking at that zero in the bank account, God shows up, you know, because I sat there and I was looking at the screen and, and I needed to get my mind off it trying to think of what do I do, how do I tell my wife, what, what do I do? do to get out of this trying to figure out ways I can fix this and simply just trust I, f- I remember sitting there thinking there's nothing I can do at this point God, you got to do something and to get my mind off it I went out and get the mail and I sat down and I started looking at another bill another bill junk mail and then something with my name on it and I opened it and inside there's a, a check with my name on it for ten thousand dollars And here, unbeknownst to me, my grandmother, who had passed away several months prior, had a will. And I didn't know I was part of this inheritance. And it's no coincidence in my mind that it ended to come in the mail that day, the day that I was sitting there deflated, discouraged, had nothing left, and simply leaned and called on God and said, provide. And he did. Because Matthew 6, 25, when it talks about that, when it talks about God will provide and what is it for us to worry about food and clothing? He's real. The scripture is alive and real, and He will provide. And that's what we read. And I get discouraged. I get frustrated that I I should know better, right? Because I have kids. I should know how I would provide. I would do anything for them as a father. I mean, who here has taken their kids somewhere fun like Disney World or or an amusement park, something like that? Anyone? Is it, There's only, okay. There's some good parents here. All right. So you would do right now. I should know. The reason I should know better, not not doubt God is because as a parent, I took our, we took our kids uh, with our uh, step's parents, my in-laws, to Disney World, and we told them, we're going to go. Now, we didn't say, okay, three months from now, we're going to go to Disney World and, and say to our, at the time, four-year-old and seven-year-old, here are the tickets. Now, hold on to them. Don't lose them. Who would do that, right? No one. No one in their right mind would do that because they're immediately going to lose them or misplace them or something. But what happens is that we tell them, we give them great news, we say anticipate something wonderful, and then now wait. And they wait, and then we travel, and we get there, we get to the gate. They still have no way of getting into the park until they get to the turnstile and they're about to enter. At that point, we hand them the ticket and they have what they need to get through. And that's what Christ does for us, and that's what He says in Matthew 6.25, that we lean on Him and He will provide. And so God is real. And so when we look at this and we let God direct and we take time for even just one person, that God can do very big things and make sure that we do not pass by what is really great. And God, He took time for this one woman, but He used the Samaritan woman. Because that part of the story is the greatest part of the story. When He took the one that the whole city looked down upon, that she went in the daytime so no one would see her, that one woman went back and brought the city with her to meet Christ. And that's what service is about. Taking time so that others can, can shine and be used by Christ. And so today, I don't want to have this again as a story that you hear and say that was wonderful and, and then end it at that. I want you to take ownership in this. So today, I want to also challenge you to serve. I want you to get involved because we have the housing program within driving distance. We have our stores as well, which are a little bit further from here, but ways to get involved and to volunteer and work. Uh, we need your prayer. Because it's spiritual warfare, and and we're reminded of that very often. And so we need you to pray. We want you to get involved. We want you to be committed to this. And so in the back, there's brochures. Um, There's only a few for the full worthwhile one, uh, worthwhile wear brochures. There's more for the well, and take that. There's also a newsletter sign-up sheet. And on that, I would challenge you to write your name, your email, if you want to get a newsletter. But then there's a notes and comments section. And that's where we want you to show how you can serve. You might say, just volunteer, we'll find a spot for you. But you also might say, hey, I can help with cooking. I can help with transportation. I can be a mentor. And write that down as well. Because this isn't just my story. It's all of our stories. This is what Christ has called us to do and required of us. So let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord. And we are awed and amazed that you can use us in spite of ourselves. In spite of our, our foolishness and, and, and sin, Lord, you still use us for your honor and glory. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to bless this church and thank you for this opportunity that we can share about the ministry of Worthwhile Wear and the Well and how women are being restored and shown you. Lord, and I pray that you'd uh, encourage us as we have uh, three more women coming this week that we would be, be given wisdom and guidance as we, we welcome them in. And, and, and Lord, just I pray that this church would be involved as well. We ask this in your name. Amen.